Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 11. Psalm 11. In Psalm 11, we'll worship the Lord with these seven verses as it describes the character of the God we worship, His blessing upon the righteous, His judgment of the wicked, and His defense of the upright against their enemies. Let's all rise together for the reading of God's Word, and let's read in unison Psalm 11. Together. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For, lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord, for Psalm 11 in our King James Bibles. You can look it up in the 1611. You can look it up in your 1769 version that you have in your hands. When the last spelling and other orthographical changes were made. In the Lord put I my trust. And that is the only place you should put your trust. Not in parent, not in spouse, not in pastor, not in government. It should be put only in the Lord. And the next couple of verses are going to go on to describe the fact that when government begins to fail, you better have your trust in the Lord. Amen. The enemies said to David, you ought to flee as a bird to your mountain. You ought to go hide because we're going to kill you. We're going to get you. In the Lord put I my trust, how say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? That's a question. Why are you saying that to me when my trust is in something that is much better than a mountain? And sometimes it's not our enemies out there that say it to us. It's an enemy that can get within in the sense that he can throw fiery darts against our souls and cause us to think that we need to hide when all we need to do is find the Lord and hide in Him. Verse 2 describes the danger that David was in. The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily, in private, subversively, behind his back, shoot at the upright in heart. That's a wicked man. Honest and righteous men, speak to your face. Honest and righteous men don't intend your destruction. But these are the wicked that David faced. And these men were King Saul. These men were Doeg the Edomite. These men were Absalom, his own son. Two kings of Israel. One an imposter and one a legitimate king. And so we come to the third verse where the psalmist writes, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
When leadership, when leadership is corrupt, when leadership is not following mercy and truth, that's the foundations being destroyed. Because the foundation of any society is its leaders. The foundation of a family is its leaders, of a church, of a business, of any organization is its leaders, and that's its men. And if those foundations be destroyed, if they themselves are corrupt, if they themselves have ulterior evil motives and agendas, what can the righteous do? There's nothing they can do except to put their trust in the Lord, where they flee with their souls in that first verse. So when it says, if the foundations be destroyed in the book of Psalms, sometimes leaders are called pillars. Sometimes they're called foundations. And if those foundations or pillars be corrupt, then society breaks down. Families break down. And if those foundations and pillars are not practicing mercy and truth, justice and integrity, duty, then it breaks down. And so it's a call to all of us, indirectly, that we want to be faithful in the duties God has given us. On the other hand, it tells us that even at the highest levels of government, when the motives are evil against us, as they were in David's life, the place to put your trust is in the Lord, because He never changes. He always abides by mercy and truth, and He will deliver and defend His people, as the fourth verse explains. The Lord is in His holy temple. While men on earth sit in their white palaces and legislate against the God of heaven, He is in His holy temple. While they have their secret meetings and conspire privily against the righteous, He is in His holy temple. And a holy temple means He abides by justice, integrity, mercy, and truth. And therefore, he will not abide their corruptions of righteousness long. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So Solomon would say, and you're upon earth. Let your words be few in the book of Ecclesiastes. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. He sees everything. Proverbs 15.3 tells us the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. When, something, when someone does something evil privily or in private, the Lord's eyes are there to see and to behold and to try them by His measuring scale, by His standards of righteousness. Right. So our comfort is in the fact that there's a holy God in heaven ruling over all the affairs of men whether it be in a family, a marriage, or a nation. We come to the fifth verse. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. When you have a but like that, separating two clauses, it's telling us that those two clauses are to be put in opposition to each other. But is a disjunctive conjunction. A coordinating conjunction, it says the two are equivalent and the two are pointed in the same direction and the two are helping each other. But when it's a but, they're set in opposition to each other. They're adversative. The first one is, the Lord trieth the righteous. Sometimes the Lord allows circumstances like the first four verses to try the righteous, to try David, to put difficulties in his life to make him better and to to show the Lord's glory by delivering him from enemies that were too great for him. That is a reflection of love. 
When the Lord tries us to make us better, that's love. When the Lord chastens us because of our sins, that's love. And that's the trying of the first clause of verse 5. The Lord trieth the righteous so that there's love involved and there is benevolence to help the righteous be better. But, on the other hand, we have the second clause. But the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. See, that's enough right there if you understand the word but to know what the first clause means. It means that he loves the righteous, and when he tries them, it's for their good and his glory. When he punishes the wicked, it's for his glory as well, but it's not for their good. It's for their destruction. This is another verse. I'm looking forward to the time when I look at Tim Tebow in a huddle, and I see Psalm 5-5 on one eyelid, and I see Psalm 11-5 on the other eyelid. I'll be excited. Or when I look in an end zone through the goalposts and see Psalm 11.5. The wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Men don't want a God that hates the wicked. They want a God that they can construct according to their own preferences. And that's a God that loves everyone. And that's why the only verse they know in the Bible, and they don't know it correctly, is John 3.16. Here's another verse you want to remember. You want to remember Psalm 5.5 and Psalm 11.5. It's an easy way to remember them. They both teach us that God hates the wicked. You say, well, then how could God love anyone? That's very simple. He chose us in Christ before the world began, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That's how He loves us. Verse 6, Upon the wicked He shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Sometimes in this world... Every time in the world to come, and this is one horrific description of God's treatment of the wicked, but in contrast to that, we have verse 7, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. That's why verse 6 is true. For, explaining verse 6, The righteous Lord loveth righteousness. That's why He punishes the wicked so severely in verse 6. And because the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, how does he treat the upright? The last clause of our psalm. His countenance doth behold the upright. And he beholds the upright with approval. His face smiles upon them. He shows his body language and his countenance. God doesn't have a countenance any more than he has body language. It's a figure of speech here to describe God's favor toward the upright. What a blessing. What a contrast we have there as well between verse 6. And the last clause of verse 7. Brethren, this is the God we worship. Put your trust in Him. Don't let your soul or anyone else tell you that you need to run and hide. The Lord is our defense. And when even the highest levels of government are corrupt and seeking our destruction like they were David's, He didn't need to run to His mountain. He needed to run to the Lord. And to run to the Lord He did because the Lord's eyes from heaven were seeing every single thing taking place on earth. His eyelids were trying the children of men. And look at the portion that they're going to get because God hates the wicked. But He loves the righteous and He beholds them with approval and favor. He beholds the wicked with judgment and punishment. The Lord trieth the righteous. If you have troubles in your life and you have gone to the Lord and confessed your sins and sought His face and those troubles remain, those troubles are there for your chastening perfection. Those troubles are there for His glory. Those troubles are there to increase and improve and purify your faith. Those are all evidences of His love. 
And you know, as I said before, I believe even last Lord's Day in the explanation of that psalm, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. What a difference it makes when you read these words, that the Lord trieth the righteous to make them better and to purify their faith and to chasten them for their sins, because he's doing that in love and for their profit. But the wicked, it's a horrible tempest that he pours out upon them. Lord, have mercy upon us and cause us to believe these words and in the Lord to put our trust at all times. And if we're in positions of leadership or authority in home, church, business, or civil authority, wherever we might be, let's make sure that we, the foundations, cannot be destroyed and that we will follow the mercy and truth and the integrity and justice that God expects that are the pillars and support of a nation or any organization. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.